welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Sarah Frey. Sarah has been described by the New York Times as the pumpkin queen of America. She sells more pumpkins than any other producer in the United States. Her family business, Frey Farms, plants thousands of acres of fruits and vegetables in Florida, Georgia, Missouri, Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana, and West Virginia. Her recent book, The Growing Season, published by Ballantine Books, introduces readers to how she built a new life and saved an American farm. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for having me here. I'm so happy to be here with you and all of your listeners today. And I'm excited to come to South Carolina very soon. Well, we will certainly be excited to welcome you with our Southern hospitality. Um, So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about the growing season. So I am the founder and CEO of Fry Farms, and Fry Farms is now a multi-state fresh fruit and vegetable producing company. We grow um, fruits and vegetables in Illinois, Indiana, Arkansas, Missouri, West Virginia, Florida, and Georgia. And we ship all of those fresh fruits and vegetables to grocery retail stores across the country. And I didn't always run a big fruit and vegetable company. I actually started it out of the back of my pickup truck when I was a teenager. And I sold, you know, watermelons and cantaloupes to small grocery stores here in Southern Illinois, and grew up on a very small family farm. And ultimately, I ended up buying that family farm and through the help of my brothers built the business into what it is today. It's really amazing. And I will go back and say it's so uh, generous of you to not have corrected me when I mispronounced your name. So it's Fry, correct? Not Frey. (laughs) Free, Fry, Frey. It all means free. There you go. So um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how the idea for this book came about? Really, the inspiration to write the book, The Growing Season, was to you know, inspire young people, regardless of where they were from, um, but inspire them and let them know that they could go out and really do anything that they wanted to do. I had met a young woman in Washington, D.C. a few years prior, and I shared a little bit of my story with her, more than what I was used to sharing at the time, and then I ran into her sometime later, and Her life had changed and her life had changed because of the action that she took based off of the story that I had told her about my own upbringing and some of the challenges that I faced starting my own business. And so by the time I ran back into this young woman, her name was Olivia, she had went out on her own and and taken a risk that had paid off and was doing incredibly well. And in that moment when she shared with me that the story that I told her had inspired her to go do that, I realized that there were probably a lot of other Olivia's out there in the world and that I really wasn't doing anyone any favors by not sharing more of my own story. Now, that's not to say that during the process of writing the book, I didn't question you know, why I would complicate my life by 
telling, you know, such a complicated truth, but, um, you know, I ultimately pushed past many of the fears that I had in, in writing the growing season. And it was published last year during the middle of, of the pandemic. And I actually feel like for me, I realized during that time when the book was published, the greater purpose of the writing, because so many of the things that I, the themes in the book are about feelings of fear and isolation and things that I had to overcome at a very early age. And it was very indicative of what the world was going through during COVID. So it was very relatable. And ultimately, you know, the, the, the lessons and the takeaway from the book is that even in the darkest of times, if you continue to look for the good, it is there. And if you can see through past life's imperfections, you can always find a greater purpose. That's so true. And, um, you know, when I think of books like this uh, that, that are inspiring to other people and how you feel as though you do have to tell the story, it is quite meaningful. One of the things that I think is always intriguing about some books, uh, not every book, but uh, this book is one of those, is, uh, and a lot of times the publisher will do this, but how did you come up with the title, The Growing Season? Is there a story behind that? As a farmer, I kind of divide the year into seasons, you know, so you have the growing season and, and you have the harvest season. And um, when I think about my own life and, you know, really up until the point that I decided that I would write the book, it was just a series of growing seasons. And as a farmer, you know that not all growing seasons are good ones. You know, you have some really tough growing seasons where you might face really devastating natural weather events um, that ultimately end up producing more of what we call the ugly fruit, um, fruit that you might not be able to sell because it's visually imperfect. But if you can see past the imperfections in the fruit and find a greater purpose for it. Maybe you turn it into juice or something that, you know, an ingredient that is more delicious and nutritious. And I realized that in life and in business and in really in all that we do, we're just all kind of going through growing seasons. And some of those growing seasons are bright and they're full of joy and love and laughter. And, and some of those, seasons are, are fallow, but we can learn just as much from the difficult growing seasons. And those times can actually bring us so much learning and so much richness as, as people and as humans, um, almost sometimes even more so than the good ones. Although I prefer the good ones to the bad ones, but if you continuously look for the good you can you can get through a tough growing season and we're all just the sum of all of our experiences at the end of the day and for me I feel like I'm the sum of all of the growing seasons that I've been through. That's a very cool correlation that you made I, I really appreciate that and one of the things that 
I was thinking about while you were talking, because here in South Carolina, we have a huge peach crop. Tonight, it's supposed to get into the low 30s. So I think a lot of people are kind of starting to get worried about having a, a cold snap this late, but hopefully everything will work out just fine. If you could tell us a little bit about the uh, program you're helping South Carolina with, specifically the McCormick County Public Library here in South Carolina. It's a program called One Book, One School, One Community. And tell us a little bit about it and a little bit how you got involved. Well, I'm heading down to South Carolina in mid-May, and I look forward to spending you know, a good bit of time really um, with the folks down there. They have, uh, you know, purchased and, and handed out the book, The Growing Season, and to, to many of the students there at the Ag School, which, you know, children in rural communities, I, I'm, a, I'm a rural community kid, and ultimately, you know, it's still very much ingrained in, in you know, rural communities are still very much ingrained in, and me and all that we do at Pry Farms, if you think about it, all of our various locations and, and where we have businesses and, and operations set up are in rural communities across the country. And the youth in rural communities is very important to me. And I think for me coming down to South Carolina and spending time with the young people there is you know, that's ultimately what made me make the de decision to participate in, in the program, because these are kids that, you know, have such incredibly bright futures ahead of them and, and may not even recognize their full potential um, beyond, you know, the community where they live. And I want to reach them with a message that they don't necessarily, you know, getting out and getting ahead doesn't always mean you have to leave. I mean, sometimes getting ahead means staying behind and building and growing. That's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, branch out, go off to school, but rural communities have so much to offer with the right vision and, the, and, a, and a fresh vision. And I think for the most part, I just, you know, I want to be able to, to share my story and really effectively engage with these young people and let them know that the sky's the limit and they can do and be whatever they want to be and where you grow up, where you're, it doesn't matter what your zip code is you can be anything that you want to be. We live in the greatest country in the world and we have freedom and opportunity that others, you know, don't. And so they actually have a, a head start in everything that they might ever want to do with their lives. That is a really important message, I think, to convey to uh, students about being able to be anything they want to be, because maybe a lot of times they don't hear that enough. So being able to convey that message, I think, is really important. And I will just mention that the McCormick County Library here in South Carolina is doing this project in partnership with the South Carolina Governor's School for Agriculture. And they have a library there, and that's part of the John De La Howe School, which is a state-supported school. And your author event is going to be May 12th 
2021 at 6 p.m. at the South Carolina Governor's School for Agriculture at John de la Howe. And also this project was made possible in part by a Library Services and Technology Act grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services administered by us here at the South Carolina State Library. So it's a, a really a great project and being able to provide it in uh, one of our more rural locations is really important. So if you could just talk a little bit about your writing style for this kind of a book, is this considered a, a memoir, a autobiography? What do you consider it? Well, it's definitely a memoir. I'm not, I don't think I'm old enough to write an autobiography. And the nice thing about writing a memoir was, you know, it, memoirs are like a collection of photographs. And you have all of these photos that you sort of lay out, different snapshots at different moments in your life. And you lay them out in sort of a chronological order. And there's a story associated with each picture. And it's not the complete picture. It's not the whole person's life, but it's a collection of memories. And so that's really what I did when I wrote the book. There were so many things that, you know, so many different snapshots from different points in my life. And as I crafted the arc for the, for the story, I mean, some of the, some of the pictures got removed and different pictures went in its place. And that's kind of the fun thing about writing a memoir, right? You sort of pick and choose like different moments that are relevant that you want to, that you feel like, you know, you're, you're compelled to share. And um, it was a it was a difficult process for me actually to not just the the time that it took but the emotion and the energy that it took to write the growing season. But I ultimately there was a a driving force within me to get it done and to get it over the finish line. And I had a lot of really incredible champions and friends and family members and and a wonderful support supportive team of people around me that encouraged me to, to keep going when ultimately I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm done now. I think I'll write a cookbook. You know, I had that thought more than once, um, especially, you know, when it got down to writing some of the, the tougher things. And, you know, I had been a very private person for most of my life, not someone who would even share information about my background or or stories from my past. In fact, by the time I really entered the business world, because I had started so young, by the time I, you know, was 20 years old, I, I appeared to be an incredibly established citizen, you know, who looked like and appeared like she was raised in an upper middle class family. And it was easy for me to let people, it was easier, in fact, to let people assume that that was my past and, and not confront them with, you know, a more complicated truth of who I was and where I came from and how I had built what I had built by the time that I did it. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> I asked myself numerous times why I was doing what I was doing. And it really circled back to the, the inspiration from that young woman that I had met in Washington, DC. 
That's a very cool story. And I, um, I also wanted to mention there was something that I read um, when I was taking a look through your book that you had a, a certain way with kind of negotiating uh, with, uh, with some businesses. And it's something that Harvard actually is using as a case study or has used as a case study. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, when I, um, I've actually done a couple. There's another one that's getting ready to be published soon. Um, but yes, it was a negotiation case study that I had done. And I, um, I hadn't, I, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I went to a uh, very small rural community college. I attended high school and college simultaneously. And, you know, while I was starting my business and living on my own, I had moved out when I was 15 years old. And you know, I wanted to go off to a larger university, but by the time I took over the family farm, I, I was so young. And at this point I had, had started working and all of my brothers were away at school, but I started doing business with a, a fairly decent sized company that you may have heard of called Walmart. And Walmart actually was a customer of mine when I was really a, a kid. And I used to deliver fresh produce to their stores, but the negotiation study really centered around how I was able to negotiate contracts with them, especially at such an early age and, and with so little resources at my dis disposal. And one of the, uh, one of the interesting takeaways from, from that, and, and I didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but when we, completed the, um, the study and, and I had finished all of the interviews for the study, they said, you, you know, there's a style, you, you actually have a style in your negotiations. And I said, oh, really, what, what is that? And they said, well, we call it campaign style negotiations. So one of the early ne negotiations big negotiations that I had to do, I employed a method called campaign style negotiation. Um, and yeah, it's interesting, you know, a, a farm kid from Southern Illinois, literally, you know, community college educated that just sort of went out on her own and up, you know, having Harvard call her five years later to say, hey, how'd you do that? So, um, yeah, it was kind of fun. It sounds great. And it's, um, you know, it just goes to show you that, um, that you, like you said, what you plan to tell uh, the students is you can do anything you want, you can be anything you want. And so that's a, a great example. If you wouldn't mind for our listeners, a lot of times what I ask uh, writers and authors is if you could read us a brief excerpt from your book uh, and that, you know, that will certainly get folks right going right online wanting to buy it, I'm sure. Sure, I think I'll share a little passage from the um, Snapping Turtle episode, which is one of my children's favorite stories. I have two boys, William and Luke. They're teenagers now, they're 15 and 16. Um, but they love the Snapping Turtle story. And uh, it starts off where my father and I ultimately we're driving down this gravel road and, and I'm in the pickup truck with him and we come upon this sna massive snapping turtle that was the biggest snapping turtle that I had ever seen. And 
he had pulled the truck over and he told me to get out and put the snapping turtle in the back. And I was probably about seven years old and the turtle was nearly my size. So I'll, I'll read a quick passage. I got out of the truck and my father did too. He stood there and watched. As angry and fearful, I approached the snapper. It was an ugly muddy brown with sharp contours on its shell and a leathery hooked snout. As I approached it, it hissed, its mouth open wide enough to fit a baseball inside. I gave my father one last fleeting glance. His expression was serious. In that moment, I may have gotten out of it. There was, I could see, concern on his face. Once he was out of the truck, he could tell that he had underestimated the turtle's size. He knew now that it was truly dangerous. I thought about pushing back again, but the mission was already underway. I was doing it. The turtle was eyeing the tall weeds at the side of the road. I only had seconds to make my move. And so I moved fast. I was Sarah Fry, almighty killer of chicken, rabbit, and fish. I could do this. I gathered up every ounce of courage. In one swift motion, I grabbed the turtle by its thick, scaly tail with both hands. Then with closed eyes, I hoisted the hissing turtle off of the ground, swung it over my head like a lasso, and hurled it toward the pickup truck. I didn't open my eyes until I heard the thud of the turtle landing in the bed of the truck. My eyes popped out in disbelief. To this day, I don't know how I managed to heave that giant snapping turtle. No way did I have the strength to even lift it. It was pure heart-pounding adrenaline inspired by fear. Well, that certainly gave me a good visual, as I'm sure it did our listeners, because uh, I can, you know, living out in the country myself, I can certainly see a pickup truck on the side of the road. <laughs> so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, one of the other things I like to ask our uh, uh, authors and writers who I get to interview and enjoy hearing stories from is, since this is Library Voices, uh, South Carolina, do you have any kind of library story that maybe you could share? It could be something from childhood or maybe um, something, you know, working on the book or anything like that. You know, there was this wonderful woman that played the organ at the little country church that I went to every Sunday with my brothers and my mother. Her name was Alice Wilson, and she was also the librarian at a town that was a little larger, um, but still about mm, 35, 40 minutes from here. And occasionally when we would go to that town, I would ask to be dropped off at the library so that I could see Alice. And some of my fondest memories were really there in that community library and wandering up and down the, the aisles of books and I'd pull a book out and read a, read a quick passage and put it back. And Alice was always there and she was always, you know, smiling and had a, you know, a warm greeting for me when she would see me because she lived out here not far from where we lived out in the country. And probably some of my favorite childhood memories are this, this is really the smell of the library and the books and and I can close my eyes now and I'm transported right back to right back to that library where I learned so much and ultimately was exposed to so much knowledge. 
That's a great story. And maybe they'll even have you come and do a book talk at some point. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been a little difficult with uh, COVID. Illinois has certainly handled things a little bit differently. So if they get back opened up at some point, then I, I think we'll probably do that. That would be great. So as we are wrapping up, I will remind folks that we will have links on our podcast page to Fry Farms, and that's fryfarms.com, I think. Yeah, that's our website. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Fry, S-A-R-A-H, Fry, F-R-E-Y, all one word, at Sarah Fry on Instagram. Great, perfect. And we'll also have links to the McCormick County Library, and that's mccormicklibrary.org. The growing season is here, and we'll have also a link so that you can find the book online. So um, in wrapping up, do you have any other projects or events coming up that you'd like to mention? Um, yeah, actually we do, but I don't have the calendar in front of me. We've been, um, you know, there have been so many incredible industry events. Things are just now starting to get open. So my calendar is starting to, to fill up with more in-person events, which I'm really excited about because when you think about the launch of the book happening right in the middle of the pandemic, there was really no way, no one was having any in-person events and it was very difficult to connect with re readers. So everything was being done remotely. And I'm just now starting to get out there and, and see people. I had an industry event in Orlando, Florida the, a couple of weeks ago where I was the, the keynote speaker at the Southern Roots luncheon. And that was just fantastic. It was fabulous. It felt so good to get out and be with many of my um, colleagues in the fresh produce industry. That was exciting. And more and more things are beginning to open up now. And I feel like we're, we're launching the book all over again, you know, that it, that it, that it's brand new. So it's exciting for me. And I'm certainly looking forward to getting down to South Carolina and I'm hoping that I get to enjoy some biscuits when I'm there. Definitely. Well, I can certainly tell you, you're going to be in rural McCormick County and there are some great places for you to get some biscuits. So That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> great. Well, I certainly do appreciate it. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Curtis. I appreciate the time spent. It's been a great conversation. And I'd also like to thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>